0: What's up, Jason Tatum here. ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play.
1: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick a Side Podcast. My name is Joel Moran, and I'm not here with Jack or Riv. I'll get into that in just a bit, and this is now episode 69. In this episode, I will be talking about Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and what team should make a trade for them or sign them if they are bought out. Then I will talk about the Boston Celtics and their recent struggles, if Julius Randle should be an all-star this season. My thoughts on Zion's recent performances where I would rank Damian Lillard in the NVP conversation and how Steph Curry and James Harden are the most underappreciated superstars in the NBA. If you made it 40 seconds through, I mentioned Jack and River not here. The reason for that is because we all live in New Jersey and it is snowing. They were not able to make it. We were going to record on Zoom, but the audio on Zoom is really bad. The video on Zoom is really bad. I asked him if I can record this episode by myself today. And they said I could, so here we are. This is going to be a fantastic episode. There are a lot of stuff that are happening in the NBA, and it would be a disservice not to talk about the Carson Wentz trade that happened earlier today, and that's what we're going to talk about later on today. I believe in three hours from my time right now, the Lakers and the Nets are also playing, so that's going to be fantastic. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to shout out everybody that gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and read their review. My name is Saucy. Jackson Mahomes said, by far the best podcast I found. And Jack, stopped jinking my team. Just picked the opposite team. That's Saucy. Shout out to him. Another review said, Samaj I. I mainly listen to the NFL segments and this podcast has made me think about how I view players and teams throughout the season. Thank you for that. We appreciate you. And then the other one we got is from SJD794. Best up-and-coming sports podcast. Can't wait to see you guys blow up. We appreciate all the new and recent reviews. All of your reviews will be read on this podcast and also we'll put it on our Instagram stories and we'll highlight it so everybody else can see. And it's going to be a monumental moment for us because all of your reviews truly mean a lot to us. But now, I just want to get something off my chest real quick. Bradley Beal uh, is starting in the Eastern Conference All-Star Game. The reason why, I don't know. He got in over James Harden, who's averaging 24 points, 8 rebounds, 12 assists, 50, 40, and 90. And Bradley Beal got over James Harden. I can see why Harden just got to the Eastern Conference, so that would make sense. But still... How is a guy who is on one of the worst teams in the NBA making it over a guy who's averaging damn near a triple-double, has the second-best record in the Eastern Conference, and Kyrie has been out some games, so has KD, and has still managed to stay there? Unbelievable, but it's ridiculous in my opinion. And I've been talking about Bradley Beal for a while, too. For the past couple of weeks... The past couple of segments have been about Bradley Beal and how I don't think he's a superstar. I still don't. This doesn't change anything, but it's kind of crazy how James Harden didn't get over Bradley Beal to be a starter in the Eastern Conference All-Star Game or in the All-Star Game in general. But let's get into our first topic of the day. Carson Wentz was traded to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts received Carson Wentz and the Eagles, received the 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 conditional second-rounder, which will probably turn into a first-rounder because if Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps for Indianapolis next season, that pick will turn into a first-round pick. So the Eagles got a first-round pick, next year's first-round pick, and this year's third-round pick for Carson Wentz. In my opinion, that's a steal. Let me talk about this trade from both sides. I talk about it from I talk about it from the, the Colts side of things first. Carson Wentz is now reunited with Frank Reich. They have a good O line in Indy. They have to get a left tackle still because Anthony Costanzo did retire. They have limited weapons in Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, but hopefully Zach Pascal resigns and T Y Hilton resigns as well, or they get a guy like A J Green or maybe an Allen Robinson if you want to shoot for the stars. And then. People aren't talking about this, but Philadelphia has talked about cutting Zach Ertz. What if Zach Ertz were to get cut, were to get released, and Philadelphia, I mean, and Indianapolis picks up Zach Ertz, and Zach Ertz reunites with Frank Reich and Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. That would be a dream come true. Carson Wentz going to the Indianapolis Colts is such a steal. The Colts are one quarterback. They're a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. They have a great running game. Jonathan Taylor will be in his second year in the league. He rushed for 1,000 yards last year. They have the, one of the league's best defenses in the NFL. They have to get a left tackle, but I'm sure they will. But they'll still have one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. And the last time, Carson Wentz was working with Frank Reich. Wentz had a 101.9 quarterback rating through 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions and would have won the MVP had he not gotten injured in 2017. I mean, could have you, if you're a Colts fan, you couldn't ask for a better scenario. Maybe if Matthew Stafford would have got traded, that would have been just as good. But the Colts' options this offseason going into next year would have been trading for Carson Wentz trading for Sam Darnold or re-signing Jacoby Brissett. I think getting Carson Wentz was the best one out of all of them. And Carson Wentz contract isn't that bad for the Colts. It is for the Eagles. The Eagles ate up $30 million in dead cap, which is the most in NFL history. The Colts next season can cut Carson Wentz and save $6 million. And two years later, they can cut him and save $20 million. So in terms of finances, the Colts aren't really stuck with Carson Wentz at all. If he plays bad, they can move on quickly. If he plays good, they got their franchise quarterback of the future and can still move on whenever they want. Now talking about the Eagles, I mean, what are, what are they going to do now? Is Jalen Hurts going to be the starting quarterback Are they going to build a team around Jalen Hurts? I was actually reading somewhere that the Eagles want to bring in competition for Jalen Hurts. Are they going to draft Trey Lance out of North Dakota State? Ironically, the same college that Carson Wentz went to. There are a lot of questions in Philly. Nick Sirianni, former offensive coordinator of the Colts, is now the Eagles head coach. Jonathan Gannon, who was the cornerbacks coach in Indianapolis, is Philadelphia's defensive coordinator. What's happening there? You know, a lot of people are blaming Howie Roseman, and he deserves a lot of blame because he's made a lot of questionable decisions. But all in all, these were the two problems with Carson Wentz in Philly and the reason why he had such a bad year. If you guys don't know who Brett Coleman is, I'm pretty sure you guys do if you guys keep up with sports and football. Brett Coleman is... Uh, football savant he has this show on youtube called the film room where he dissects film of players and he did one on carson wentz and from the video what i gathered is that carson wentz had two main problems he liked to play hero ball which ties in directly to frank uh, which ties in directly to doug peterson's play calling and his footwork and mechanics are all over the place Going into Indianapolis, I think the play calling will be fixed. Doug Peterson called a lot of plays knowing that Carson Wentz likes to play hero ball. Doug Peterson called a lot of plays that would put him in position to fail and play hero ball. Frank Reich is more of a conservative play caller. A lot of short stuff, a lot of mesh routes, um, a lot of mesh concepts. So I don't think that'll be a problem there. Um, But the main concern is that, is Carson Wentz going to fix his mechanics? Is he going to stop overstriding? Is he going to fix his footwork? Those are question marks, and we'll see what happens. But in my opinion, there was no better place for Carson Wentz to go than the Indianapolis Colts. And I fully believe that he will be fixed in Indianapolis. He will, Carson Wentz will revive his career with the Indianapolis Colts. And if the Colts, they don't even have to get 2017 Carson Wentz. If they can get 2019 Wentz or 2018 Wentz, the Colts can be a sleeper to go to the Super Bowl. Now, shifting away from football, that was the only football topic that's going to be the only football topic in, these, in this episode. We're going to talk about Blake Griffin. And if he, if he can, can Blake Griffin still contribute? To an NBA team, I'm also going to go over some trade packages and the best fits, teams that offer the best fit for Blake Griffin. So far, Blake Griffin's, uh, the downfall of of his career has been very sad. He's had 16 injuries since 2017. He was a former number one overall pick in the same draft as DeMar DeRozan, James Harden, Steph Curry, and a bunch of other very good players. He's had 16 injuries since 2017. 11 have been knee-related. This season, he was playing 31 minutes per game before the Detroit Pistons decided not to play him anymore. He's averaging 12 points per game, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, shooting 36% from the field, and 31% from three. He's basically turned into a spot-up shooter in Detroit. He's really only taking threes. He doesn't have the speed to get by anybody anymore. He's never been a good defender. And it's sad to see that because I grew up watching Blake Griffin. I, I saw, I saw in 2011 when he jumped over Akia in the dunk contest. I saw that. I, I saw that Blake. And what I think is is worst of, about all of this is that we never got to see a prime Blake Griffin in the playoffs with the Clippers or the Pistons. With the Clippers, he was always injured. When it was time to go into the playoffs, either Blake Griffin or Chris Paul or both were injured. When he was with Detroit, when he had a great year in 2018, the Pistons made the playoffs. They were matched up with the Bucks in the first round. Blake Griffin... Try to play through an injury, but it was clear that he just couldn't. We never got to see a prime Blake in the highest stage of them all in the playoffs. In 2018, that's when he had his last great season. He averaged 24 and a half points per game, seven and a half rebounds per game, 5.4 assists per game, and shot 36% from three, which for him is really good. But as a whole in the NBA, that's that's league average. I think there are five teams that can fit him well. The Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat, the Mavericks, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. OKC right now and Boston are the only two teams that can actually trade for him. OKC can do it because they have cap space. And if Detroit wants to trade Blake Griffin to OKC... I think Detroit will probably have to give them picks, and Sam Presti would just keep stockpiling more and more picks. He has so many picks for the next coming years. The trade offer could be Trevor Ariza, Mike Muscala, for Blake Griffin and some picks. For the Celtics, they can do it because they have a trade exception. Every other team pretty much has to get him only if can only get him if he is bought out. When we talk about the Lakers and his fit there, he could start right now because Anthony Davis is not playing. And I think he'd be a good fit next to LeBron. Anybody can look good next to LeBron. Most players can. There's been some exceptions and anomalies. But for the most part, you can. When Davis comes back, Blake Griffin could come off the bench, and that would be very beneficial for him. But even then, how would that work if Montrezl Harrell is playing that spot? It'd be very tricky. The Celtics would be a perfect fit because they have no bench at all. And we are going to talk about the Celtics after, in the next two segments, actually, we are going to talk about the Celtics and their struggles. The Celtics have no bench at all. Blake Griffin can come off the bench and be that main scorer, main facilitator off the Celtics bench. And I think that would be pretty good because... Right now, the Celtics are outscored by five points per 100 possessions when Jason Tatum is off the court, which means that when Jason Tatum is off, they lose leads. What better guy to help maintain those leads than Blake Griffin? Let's see what he has. The other team, the Miami Heat, they're just looking for a spark. Miami's not even in the the playoffs right now. They are not even in the playoff race right now. Even with Jimmy coming back and the team pretty much healthy, they are still losing games. They lost to a Clippers team that had no Kawhi and no Paul George. The Miami Heat were a team that made the finals last season. And this season, they look nothing like that team. It, it, it feels and it, it looks like a completely different team. Miami's just looking for a spark. That's why Blake Griffin would make sense there. And that would have to be done through a buyout. The Mavericks are another option. You just need another guy to help out Luka and KP. The Mavericks have kind of the same problem where they need guys off the bench that can do things. And Blake Griffin, if you're getting this Blake Griffin that's shooting this horribly from the field, he can't really help much. Plus, he's a negative net defender. So how much can that really help? But... In essence right now, you're just banking on what Blake Griffin can be. Because what he's shown has not been very good. Any team that wants to bring him in is kind of just bringing him in because they they're just throwing a penny into a into a water fountain. They're just trying to make a wish come true. They're just hoping that Blake Griffin even hits a little bit of what he hit in 2018. Even performs a little bit of that. Because of that, all of these teams, it it it, it really doesn't matter where he goes. Now, the question is, can Blake Griffin still be a productive NBA player? And in my opinion, he can be. For one, he can only be one if he accepts his role. He has to to accept the role of coming off the bench, not being a starter anymore, not wanting to be a star anymore. He has to put his pride aside, kind of like what Derrick Rose is doing now, a guy who was also hampered by injuries. Blake Griffin has a good skill set. He has good handle. He's a good passer. If he can shoot like he did in 2018 at 36%, he's manageable. He can space the floor somewhat. But everything else is pretty much bad. I mean, he can't really drive to the basket anymore. He can't play defense. And just those knees, those injuries, It for any guy to come back from that is a pretty terrific feat. But we'll see what happens with Blake Griffin also. OKC only makes sense because that's Blake Griffin's hometown. That's the only reason why. Where do I see Blake Griffin going? I'm not entirely sure right now. Where could I see him going and the best fit? I think Boston. I think Boston because they can either trade for him with that big trade exception. They'd have to make a decision, though. Do they want to trade for Drummond or Griffin? They can either trade for him or they can buy him out, but or the. They can can pick him up when he's bought out. But I think Blake Griffin makes the most sense with the Boston Celtics. Blake Griffin's former teammate, Andre Drummond, is also a guy who is on the trade market now and is probably going to get bought out. Andre Drummond, the Cavaliers told him to start sitting out because they don't want him to get hurt, which made Draymond Green sound off and I... I agree with him on most of what on most of what he said. Very, very courageous stand of Draymond to take there. But will Andre Drummond actually get traded? I mean, last year, didn't he get traded? What did he get traded for? Our second round pick? He got traded for nothing. He Andre Drummond basically got traded for nothing last season. A year older, on an expiring deal again. What makes the Cavaliers think they're going to get anything more, if not less? Like, what, There's no team, realistically, that can trade for Andre Drummond. And right now, they have been in talks with the Toronto Raptors. And I was playing around with the trade machine on ESPN.com, and this is the only trade that I could come up with in regards to the Toronto Raptors. This would only work salary cap-wise. This is the only trade that could work salary cap wise. Aaron Baines, Norman Powell, Patrick McCall, and Stanley Johnson for Andre Drummond and Damian Dotson. Now, is this a is this a good trade? If you were the Raptors, would you make this trade? If you were the Cavs, would you take this trade? Um it really depends. You're definitely getting an upgrade from Aaron Baines when you get Andre Drummond. If Aaron Baines was shooting the three point ball at a pretty high percentage this season, my mind would be, my mindset would be a little bit different, but he's not shooting well. So he does, he's not really providing spacing anyway. Norman Powell, he's a good scorer. I don't think that's the guy that I really wouldn't want to let go, Norman Powell, because he's a really legit and good scorer. And he he plays a huge part for that Raptors team. But if you're fine with that, if you're fine with giving up a guy like Norman to get Andre Drummond, then I guess you, you pull the trade. You make the trade. And you're also getting a guy in Damian Dotson, who Damian Dotson is not a scrub. He can play. I'm a Knicks fan. I saw Damian Dotson play well a lot of the times. But all in all, I don't think the Raptors make this trade. And if they do, it kind of just shows how desperate they are right now. Andre Drummond is a big man who does one thing and one thing only. He can make layups and make dunks. He has no other skill set in his game. He can't really shoot. Uh, He has no real post game. And he's a great rebounder. But oddly enough, he's a great rebounder. He's really athletic. But he's not a great defender. He's not a great rim protector. Which is really weird. Because usually big guys that are really athletic and can rebound well and can jump really high. Usually know how to block shots too, but for Andre Drummond that's not the case. I mean he would help with Toronto's defense, I guess slightly, just a little bit with the rim protection, rebounding of course, and which Baines does not provide at a high enough level. But they would lose a really good score in Norman Powell, so it just depends on what you want to do. It really plus Andre Drummond is a rental. Is Toronto really going to re-sign him back? Uh. It depends. Like, what what is Andre Drummond's market going to be after this season? There's too many question marks. Norman Powell was signed this year and next year. So he's locked up for the next two seasons at least. What about Andre Drummond? I wouldn't do this trade if I were the Raptors. I think that Andre Drummond gets bowed out. And also, if the Raptors are going to trade for a center, just trade for JaVale McGee. He can do what Andre Drummond does. Damn near. And you won't have to give up Norman Powell. you only have to probably give up a pick. I think Andre Drummond gets bought out. I don't think he gets traded because I don't think any team is going to trade for Andre Drummond. Now, with the, the Celtics are also the only team that can make a trade because of their gigantic trade exception. If you don't know, the Celtics have a $28.5 million trade exception, which means... They can trade for any player that has that salary or lower and not have to give up any player, probably only have to give up a, give up a pick for that said player. Celtics can make it work. They do need some depth and they do need help. So I can definitely see that happening. But outside of the Celtics and Raptors, there's nobody else. The Lakers can't trade for him. They don't have the players to match the salaries. The Nets can't trade for him. They don't have the players to match the salaries. And I'll, I'll, I'll back up on that statement because they do, but the players that match Drummond's salaries are Davis and LeBron and Harden, KD, and Kyrie. You're not trading those guys for Andre Drummond. A report also came out that Drummond is just fine with joining the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks trade for him, though. The Nets and Mavs are interested in acquiring him only via buyout. Eh, Andre Drummond, it's, it's it's just Andre Drummond. What is he really worth? I think in this modern NBA, not that much. Because of that, I think he gets bought out. What team he joins, I think he will either join the Lakers or the Nets if he gets bought out. Because I think at this point he recognizes that it's probably just best for him to win a championship. Especially if he already got bought out and made about $29 million with the Cavs. You might as well just go play for free somewhere, play on a minimum and win a championship. I think he'll either join the Lakers or the Nets if he gets bought out. But if it's a trade, watch out for the Celtics and the Raptors. Talking about the Celtics, they were mentioned in the last last two previous segments. We mentioned them in the Andre Drummond one, if the Celtics want to trade for Andre Drummond. And in the previous one, if they were willing to go out and trade for Blake Griffin. There are some problems in Boston right now. The problem with Boston is that they've had injuries, they lost Gordon Hayward, and they've been str- they've been struck with the COVID bug. They're fourteen and fourteen right now. They have a five hundred record. They're fifth in the Eastern Conference, and they're one and a half games in front of ninth place. So if they lose two games, they could very well be out of the playoffs as it stands. Let me talk about the injuries first. Marcus Smart is still out. He missed his 11th game when when the Celtics lost to the Hawks. Kemba has missed 15 games this season. And he didn't play against Atlanta either. Boston has not found a way to replace Gordon Hayward yet. Gordon Hayward averaged 17.5 points last season with Boston. This year, Gordon Hayward is averaging 22.3 points per game with the Charlotte Hornets and is a borderline all-star. The Celtics did not replace Gordon Hayward this offseason, and I was mistaken because I, I'll tell you I was mistaken. I thought Aaron Nismith was going to come into the league ready to play. He's not ready to play. His three point shot has not transferred yet. And in hindsight, Desmond Bain was the best shooter in the draft. And Boston did draft him, but I think, I believe they traded him as well. Because originally, they drafted Pritchard, Neesmith, and Bain, which on draft night, I was like, whoa, their draft was amazing. But they ended up trading Desmond Bain to Memphis. And Desmond Bain is playing a huge role in what they're doing over there. In Memphis, And now we're going to COVID. Jason Tatum missed five games due to COVID. He actually had COVID. And since coming back, Brad Stevens has played Tatum more minutes after getting COVID than he played before he had COVID. And Tatum has openly talked about this, that he's had breathing problems and he's had shortness of breath during the games. So, I just want something to make sense for me. I think Brad Stevens is a good coach. I don't think he'd be playing Jason Tatum that many minutes if he didn't have to. The reason he has to is because there's nobody else that can play right now. Grant Williams and Semi Ojale have been starting. They're both offensive liabilities. They can defend. And I actually really like Grant Williams. To me, he projects like a better PJ Tucker. I like, I like Grant Williams, but I also don't think they're starting players. Grant Williams, I think I can I can deal with, but not Semi Ojale. Jeff Teague, when he plays, has been a huge disappointment. Payton Pritchard has beat him out at this point. Payton Pritchard has beat Jeff Teague out to this point. And like I mentioned earlier, Neesmith, Aaron Neesmith was supposed to come into the league ready. He shot 50% from three at Vanderbilt. He's shooting 31% from three now, and when he plays, he just looks lost out there. He's a rookie, so we can't be too harsh on him, but this is just the state of the Celtics right now. Danny Ainge was asked if this team is good enough to compete, and Danny Ainge said no, and he also made a comment about how it's his fault that this roster isn't as good, and yeah, it is. Like Danny Ainge, what are you doing? Every single year when a star player is about to get traded, the team that is always in the bubble of names that get mentioned are the Boston Celtics. But the Boston Celtics never pull the trigger on a superstar player. You look at Kawhi when he was getting traded from San Antonio. Boston was in the mix. They never pulled the trigger on a Kawhi trade. When Anthony Davis was on the trade market, they never got a chance to get Anthony Davis, and granted, I'll, I'll I'll give Danny Ainge a pass for that because Anthony Davis said he didn't want to play in Boston. And James Harden, Miami, Philadelphia, and the Nets were all very aggressive in trying to pursue James Harden. Miami, not so much. You heard a little bit here and there. Philly, really aggressive. Daryl Morey wanted James Harden in Philadelphia. The Nets ended up getting him. Boston, they were they were a little bit, they were of but they weren't really in the mix. You didn't hear that they made offers. So what are you doing? Get a star player. Try to get a superstar. And, and I know, like, getting a superstar is hard because you don't want to lose the trade. You don't want to give up too much, especially like that. I mean, people thought the Nets gave up too much, and the Nets gave up Jared Allen, Karis DeVert, and Torian Prince, and, and Kuroks and picks. And some people think they give up too much. Imagine if the Celtics gave up Jalen Brown for James Harden. Everybody would have went crazy because everybody would have thought that would have been way too much. In my opinion, I would have done it. Like I I, I love Jalen Brown. I think he's a good player. I think he's a great player. But if it's for James Harden, you get James Harden. I think it's a no-brainer. I really do think it's a no-brainer. Right now, the Celtics have a $28.5 million trade exception, which is the biggest trade exception in NBA history, and no moves have been made. Are they going to get Blake Griffin? I hope not. I hope that's not Danny Ainge's, Danny Ainge's big sleeve, big move off out his sleeve. I hope that's not it. Are they going to get Andre Drummond? I'd actually like that a little bit more because they'd have a big man finally. But all in all, it seems like This Boston Celtics team, and hear me out, has had some bad karma since not giving Isaiah Thomas a contract and trading him to Cleveland for Kyrie Irving. I'm just saying, ever since they did Isaiah Thomas dirty, things have not been going the Celtics' way. Yes, they made the Eastern Conference Finals this past season, but you look at it. They traded Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving leaves and I mean, it was a whole storyline about how toxic that locker room locker room really was. And when you think about Isaiah Thomas, like you look at Kemba right now, Isaiah Thomas, if he were never to play in that playoff game when he had a bad hip and got and reaggravated it and kind of almost costing his career, pretty much, he probably would have been the same player that Kemba is right now. You went from Isaiah Thomas to Kyrie to Kemba. Kyrie was supposed to be the prize, but he ended up leaving. Now you got Kemba, who's very injury-prone right now. I don't know. I'm just saying, in hindsight, those were the right moves to make. I understand that. But it just feels like a little bit of karma is at play here. Because, you know, let's be honest here. Isaiah Thomas, for a while, was the heart and soul of Boston. Boston was the lovable underdog. Everybody loved him because of Isaiah Thomas. He was... The, he was the role model for that team. He was a leader. Everybody loved him. And I think that kind of messed up the chemistry for a little once he left. I don't know. For me, I just feel like a little bit of karma is at play right there. The next topic I want to talk about is Julius Randle. And I'm a Knicks fan. I, I, I'll i say this. I'm a, I'm a fan of New York basketball now. And i said it. Uh, everybody's kind of mad at me right now because I'm a Nets fan and I'm rooting for the Nets, and I'm originally a Knicks fan. James Harden is my favorite player. And before he got traded to the Nets, I said multiple times, if James Harden gets traded to the Nets, I will become a Nets fan. He got traded to the Nets, which is why I am a Nets fan. I still root for the Knicks, though. I love the Knicks. I love the Knicks, and a player on the Knicks is playing really well. His name is Julius Randle. Julius Randle this season is averaging 23.2 points per game, 10.9 rebounds per game, and 5.5 assists per game. He's shooting 48% from the field and 40% from three. Just to put these stats in... In perspective, he is the only player to average 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists on 40% from 3 other than Larry Bird. That's a pretty remarkable feat, wouldn't you say? Julius Randle. I'd never think in a million years that Julius Randle would be shooting 40% from 3. Last season, he shot 27% from three. And before that, his career high was 36%. He's shooting 40%. That's remarkable. And I think now we kind of have to look at why didn't he succeed in New York his first year? I think there are a couple of reasons. David Fisdale never had a real system in place. Mike Miller was an interim coach, never had a real system in place, even though the Knicks were better with Mike Miller. And all in all, Julius Randle, it was his first year taking on the responsibility of being a first option on the team. And with that responsibility, he got a little bit carried away. He forced up a lot of shots. He didn't let the game come to him. And the spin move was annoying as hell. All last year, if you guys don't know, Randle used to drive to the basket and do a spin move all the time and just lose the ball, lose the ball completely. And it would happen every single game. At least that's what I can remember. And Knicks fans hated Randall for this. And Randall's season in New York was so bad last season that the fan base was pretty much done with Randall. But Randall has proved everybody wrong so far because he came back this season with something to prove and has proved it. Right now, the Knicks are fourteen and sixteen, and they're sixth in the Eastern Conference. His case to make the All Star game is that he has the numbers and he's winning. The Eastern Conference All Stars were named today. It's Giannis, KD, Embiid, Kyrie, and Bradley Beal. I don't know why Bradley Beal is starting. It should be Harden, but nonetheless, now it's time for the reserves to be named. Who will they be? Well. Randall is a forward so he'll be in the front court category in the front court. You got players like Vucevic Sabonis Jeremy Grant Tobias Harris Jimmy Butler Gordon Hayward and Bam Adebayo So Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo should not be in the all-star game. I don't think so Bam has the better chance, but they're losing They shouldn't be in the all-star game Gordon Hayward is playing well but he doesn't have better numbers than Julius Randle. Tobias Harris is playing well, but he doesn't have better numbers than Julius Randle. What can help Tobias Harris's case is that he plays for Philly and they're currently the best team in the Eastern Conference record-wise. Jeremy Grant, Julius Randle has better numbers and the Pistons are one of the worst teams in the league. DeMontis Sabonis. Now that's a tough one cuz DeMontis Sabonis is averaging similar numbers to Julius Randle. And the Pacers are slightly better record-wise. And Nikola Vucevic, he has kind of the same numbers as Randle, but the Magic are losing, which is why I don't think he should be in over Randle. Overall, Randle beats Vucevic and wins. The Magic are 11 and 18, but Sabonis beats Randall and wins. The Pacers are 15 and 14, and the Knicks are 14 and 16. All in all, I, I ultimately, I think Julius Randle should get into the All-Star game. He is deserving of the All-Star game. But I don't think it's a lock if he's going to get in or he's not. Like, we know James Harden is a lock. We know Jason Tatum is a lock. Jalen Brown, I think he's a lock. These other guys, I don't know. They're not a lock. Julius Randle, there's a chance he does not make it. And I, would, I wanted to make this segment because even if he doesn't make it, let's not take away from this amazing season that he's having. And if he doesn't make it, I mean, even if he does make it, all this is showing me right now is that there are so many deserving all-stars in the NBA right now. Like, just imagine, Vucevic probably won't make it. Gordon Hayward probably don't, won't make it. I think they're deserving all-stars. Malcolm Brogdon is another player. He probably won't make it, and he's been playing terrific. Tobias Harris probably won't. There are a lot of guys who are deserving who probably won't make it. And I think the NBA should make should have more players in the All-Star game because there are way more players than 12 players that have All-Star-like seasons, and there are snubs every single season. But nonetheless, I believe 100% that Julius Randle should be an All-Star this season, and if he isn't. That would be a huge disservice, not just to him and how much he's improved from last season, but also a disservice to the life that he's brought back into New York City, into New York, into New York basketball. He has given the Knicks fan base a reason to watch the games closely and be excited for the team. And I, it's not just Randall, it's the whole team. Emmanuel Quickly has been a show-out rookie. RJ Barrett is having a better second year. Tom Thibodeau is coaching his butt off. Derrick Rose is exciting. We're, we're still waiting on Obi Toppin to get better and better. Then you, you Nerlens Noel is a good rim protector. Mitchell Robinson. Like we got guys that us as Knicks fans we're looking forward to see because this is an exciting team. They play defense. They play hard. It feels as close to '90s Knicks basketball as anything that we've seen in a while. I just feel like Julius Randle deserves to be an All-Star, and I'm hoping he is. And I'm a Knicks fan, so he should get in. And that's my cosign to get Julius Randle. That's my petition to get Julius Randle in the All-Star game. A player that was compared to Julius Randle coming out of the draft was Zion Williamson from Duke. Zion Williamson is now in the Pelicans. He was the first overall pick. I never really got the Julius Randle comparisons because I think they have similar, I guess, builds or body types, even though Zion's physique is just out of this world. But their games, their styles are way different, so I never fully got that comparison. Last year and early this year, the Pelicans were one of the most boring teams to watch in the NBA. Mostly because last year the NBA forced a bunch of Pelicans primetime games on us. And the worst part is that Zion Williamson wasn't there for half of them. And this year, early this season, the Pelicans were still in a lot of primetime games. And they Stan Van Gundy wasn't using Zion correct, correctly. They had one of the worst pace in the leagues. They were one of the slowest teams in the NBA, they have moved up significantly from them. But if you if you were to watch Pelicans games early in the season, it was a lot of Zion being the roller in pick-and-roll situations, playing on a low block, whereas now you see Zion have a new and improved role where he's more of the ball handler. And Stan Van Gunny is giving Zion the ball to play, make, and make decisions. They are running their offense through Zion. And I think most people can agree with the sentiment that um, Zion having that new role has made people reinterested in the Pelicans and in Zion Williamson. Because early this season, it felt like people already had Zion Williamson fatigue. But Zion this season is averaging 25, 6.8 rebounds per game, 3.1 assists per game. He's shooting 61.8% from the field and 37.5% from the three, and about 71% from the line. He's not taking many threes, so let's not really, you know, look too into that three-point percentage, but versus the Blazers, he had a career-high 36 points. He was dominant. I mean, Zion was dominant. I was watching the game, and I felt bad for Robert Covington. I felt bad for Dame, because there were times where Zion took Dame to the basket. I felt bad for for anybody trying to guard Zion Williamson because Zion Williamson was unstoppable. He is a freight train. The thing with Zion is that he is one of the most dominant players in the NBA currently. Whenever he puts his shoulder down and decides to drive to the basket, I'm certain that no one can stop him. There may be maybe may a few players that can, but for the most part, no one can stop him. He's too he's too fast for bigs, and he's way too strong for guards. I mean, have you ever seen Zion Williamson getting ready for a free throw? You can just see the muscles ready to pop out of his arms. He is really strong. I mean, his physique is amazing. And what doesn't get talked about is how good Zion's handles are. Now that Stan has been putting the ball in Zion's hands more, We've seen it come to life more. I mean, I saw Zion driving to the basket, you know, make going, going right, then going behind the back, coming back left, and then driving to the basket, or setting up a dribble, going between the legs, crossover, going to the basket. And this spin that he does, I mean, there is nobody that can stop it. The spin is so quick, and he has amazing touch around the basket. Zion is truly a special player and a special talent, and he's already great. His new role in offense has gave him more playmaking opportunities and he's becoming the first option on the team. And if you noticed before the team used to play through Brandon Ingram, he was their first option. He was their main guy. He was their closer and Stan Van Gundy has Zion playing mostly on the low block and play mostly as a role man and pick and roll situations. Instead, of being the ball handler on the team. But now he's in the opposite end of those situations. He's handling the ball more. He's getting screens. He's, he's taking on that lead kind of guard role. And overall, Zion's new role is unlocking Zion's true potential. And it's making the Pelicans better overall. Most of the, most of the games that the Pelicans have lost this season have been really close. And also have been really high scoring. It's it's mostly due to their defense. JJ Redick is a defensive liability. Eric Bledsoe's was pretty good defensively. Lonzo is pretty good defensively. BI is kind of a defensive liability at times. Um and Zion, I still don't know. I still don't know. I still don't know if Zion's a good defender or a really bad defender or just a bad defender. I really haven't looked too much into it, but all I know is that he makes highlight blocks. And I saw one against the Blazers when he made one against Gary Trent Jr. It was like an emphatic block. I want to see more of this from Zion. I I, I think that he's going to be the first option on the Pelicans moving forward. And I want to see how far the Pelicans, Pelicans can go with Zion doing this. With Zion doing this, I mean, he is, what, 20 years old? He might be 21. He might be 21, or he might be 20. It's one of those. And he's already playing at an at a all-star level. Man, who's to tell how good Zion Williamson can be? I mean, we were all excited for him coming out of Duke, and we all kind of knew he was going to be this. But to be this this fast is pretty scary for the rest of the league. Like I said, each time I would watch Zion, he is just an unstoppable force. Like, nobody can guard him. He is so fast and so strong and jumps so high. And he's also a very good passer as well. People don't mention that about his game. There are a couple things people don't mention. He's a very good passer. He's a very good ball handler. A lot of things about Zion. And, you know, people question his jump shot coming into the NBA, but he's actually shot the ball pretty good. He has a pretty good mid-range jumper on him. He's shooting; the, he's making threes when he takes them, and his free throw percentage has gotten better from his rookie year to now. I can't wait! I can't wait to keep watching Zion Williamson develop. I feel like I'm watching a superstar right before my eyes beginning to blossom. Zion Williamson and the Pelicans faced the Blazers, and they lost to the Blazers one twenty-four to one twenty-six. The standout player in the Blazers versus Pelicans game was Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is a player that doesn't get talked about much. We all love him. We all love Damian Lillard because he's a real dude. He raps and he balls. He's a really fantastic player. He's one of the most exciting players to watch. And he's insanely clutch. Against the Pelicans, Damian Lillard scored eight points in the last two minutes of the game. The Blazers won the game 126-124, to and Lillard had 43 points and 16 assists. He's the fifth player in NBA history to do that. The other four are James Harden, who did it twice, Trey Young, Isaiah Thomas, and Oscar Robertson, who did it three times. And Damian Lillard is also the first Blazer to get 40 points and 15 assists in a game since Clyde Drexler when he did it in 1986. The Portland Trailblazers are on a six-game winning streak, and in the last three games, Dame has scored over 30 points and has had 10 assists or more. He leads the league in clutch points and shoots at a 62% rate. I mean, his percentage is off the charts when it's the fourth quarter, when it's in those clutch time situations. The Blazers have an 18-10 record in their fourth in the Western Conference. This is without C.J. McCollum and Yusef Nurkic who have been out for the majority of the season. And before I talk about Dame a little bit more, give credit to the Blazers and his cancer, stepping up, doing what he does, bringing toughness bringing an offense and rebounding to the team. Gary Trent Jr. People aren't talking about Gary Trent, but in Gary Trent's 13 starts, he's averaging 20 points per game. CJ was averaging 26.7 around there, basically 27. Gary Trent is 22 years old. So it looks like the Blazers got another guard who can become an all-star or can he or who can play at an all-star level and sooner rather than later. Also, Carmelo Anthony has had some vintage performances in the last couple of games. Anthony Simons has been good. Derek Jones Jr. and Covington bringing in that defense. But I want to talk about Damian Lillard's story. Two-star recruit, benched as a sophomore in high school, transferred high schools, and balled out when he got to his second high school that he transferred to, which was Oakland High School. He then... Got offered by Weber State, which was the only college that offered him. And of course, he got drafted. In 2019, he averaged 30 points per game, eight assists, and shot 40% from three. That was last year in the bubble. Where we saw him having these magical performances in the bubble. I think last year was the moment that Damian Lillard truly broke out into NBA stardom, superstardom where everybody really started to recognize him. Then in 2020, this year, he's averaging 29.8 points per game, basically 30, 7.7 assists, basically 8 assists, and shooting 38% from three. This has me wondering, where does Damian Lillard rank in the MVP race? Right now, the players that are currently in it are Joel Embiid, LeBron James. Kawhi Leonard, Steph, and Jokic, and of course, Dame. I will say this, no other superstar in this MVP race is winning like Damian Lillard right now and carrying their team like Dame, doing those both in conjunction. You look at LeBron. LeBron is winning. He has the Lakers at the second seed in the Western Conference, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. But he does not have the stats of Dame right now. He does not have the fourth quarter performances of Dame right now. And I'm going to say this. Just because you are in your 18th season in the NBA does not mean that that should not add to your MVP case. I don't care. I really don't care. That should not add on to your MVP case at all. It's great that LeBron's doing it. But longevity Should not be a reason why you win the MVP. That's narrative driven. Let's talk about this year. This year, I'm putting Dame over LeBron James in the MVP conversation. That's just me. Then we look at Joel Embiid. He's playing fantastic. Philadelphia is the first seed in the Eastern Conference. But Joel Embiid has had his whole team the entire season. Ben Simmons has only missed a couple games. Tobias has been there. Seth Curry has been there for the most part. Everybody has basically been there that matters. You can't say the same for Dame. And even when Embiid was out, Ben Simmons and Tobias and those guys almost beat Utah. They lost to Utah by 11 or 9 points, but Ben Simmons had 42 points in that game. Embiid has not lost his supporting cast like Dame has. Then you look at Kawhi Leonard who I think is having an MVP-like year also. Nobody's talking about it either. But Kawhi Leonard and Paul George go out, and the Clippers start, they're actually winning. Like, they lost to Utah last night, but they beat a Miami team that was fully healthy. Like, they, ha- they have been holding their own. And even when it, when it's not PG and just Kawhi, they have been holding their own. That supporting cast is there. You can't say the same for Dame. Then Steph Curry, he's just not winning like Dame. I think Steph Curry's having a similar season to Dame, just that Steph is not winning like Dame right now. Then you look at Jokic, the same thing. Jokic is playing phenomenal, phenomenal, but he's not winning like Dame. Damian Lillard is the only guy that is carrying his team, but also winning, and he has the stats to prove it, which is why, for me, he's at the top of this MVP race. I'm, I'm not saying he's... Without a doubt, number one. But what I'm saying is that he's definitely top three. And if you put him one, I won't even mind. If you put him one, I'd be fine with it. I wouldn't complain. I wouldn't argue with it if you put Damian Lillard number one in your MVP ladder. Like I said, the Blazers are 18-10 and right now. They're the fourth seed in the Western Conference. Before the season, I had them as a third seed. I had them finishing as a third seed which is very possible still because once they get C.J. back and Nurk, they can finish very high. They can finish very high. You never know how well they can finish. If Utah starts to cool down, the Blazers can take their spot. If the Lakers start to cool down, you never know how this stuff goes. But all we know is that right now they're the fourth seed in the Western Conference and a tough conference, Dane, without C.J. and Nurk, is leading the Blazers to victory along with the guys that are helping him as well, like Gary Chen Jr., Mello, Cantor, Jones Jr., Covington, Simons, all those guys, they all deserve credit, but Dane has been the leader of this group, no doubt about it. To me, he slept on, he's still underrated to an extent, and he deserves way more credit than what he's getting right now, and he deserves way more attention than what he's getting right now. Damian Lillard is a star, a superstar in this league. This is going to be a very short episode. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier. We had, this episode was a total of eight topics. Don't want to make this too long. Just something for the weekend for you guys to listen to. Riv and Jack and I will be back on Monday to record a football episode, which that's going to be good. This last segment is going to be about Steph Curry and James Harden. I think Steph Curry and James Harden are the two most underappreciated superstars in the NBA currently. You can throw in LeBron in there as well because LeBron is always getting hated on. But for the most part, we all know what LeBron is. But have two guys like Steph Curry and Harden, have Have there ever been two guys that have had to face so so much criticism even with their success? It seems like they always have something to prove. Curry is a three-time champion. Yet, coming into this season and last season, everybody was questioning, can he carry a team? James Harden is an MVP. Led the Rockets to the playoffs eight straight years. Yet, he doesn't have a championship. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Two superstars... Two different pathways to superstardom and Steph Curry and James Harden. We'll start with Steph. Son of Dell Curry, a former NBA player who was a sharp shooter in the NBA. Steph Curry, not highly recruited, went to a low-level D1 school in Davidson. And not only became MVP, but was the best player on one of the best run slash dynasties in basketball History. Curry is a three time champion, yet somehow we still question if he can actually carry a team. And people are still waiting on him to prove something. Some analysts out there don't even have Steph Curry in the MVP conversation because he's not winning that much. Steph's stats this season are 30 points per game. rebounds per game, 6 assists per game. He's shooting 49% from the field and 42.5% from three. Those stats are similar to his MVP season. Slightly below, like really slightly below. But they are very similar to his MVP season. That just goes to show you how great he's playing this year. And if I need to remind everybody, that year he won the MVP unanimously the Warriors are 16 and 13 this season they're the seventh seed in the Western Conference and Steph Curry has had some spectacular performances this season one notably off the top of my head was against Orlando Magic and one that happened yesterday was against Miami where Golden State came back against Miami Steph Curry had one of his worst shooting games of the year and they still found a way to pull it out without Draymond Green now James Harden, born in Compton, which is one of the toughest neighborhoods in America. It's a really bad place. It's a really bad place. And Harden came from there. So did Kendrick Lamar. A lot of notable celebrities and figures have come from have come from Compton. He was the twenty first best player in the nation coming out of high school. He went to Arizona State, drafted to OKC, became a six man. Won the sixth man of the year, got traded to Houston, and instantly became a superstar slash all-star. Harden has finished top two in MVP voting for the last five seasons and won it in 2018. And if you ask me, he should have won it in 2019 as well because when you look at Giannis and Harden's season, Giannis had a great season, but Harden's was historic. He carried his team way more than Giannis. That's just my opinion. Harden has been a victim of false narratives to this point in his career. One of the most notable ones is that he's a bad defender. Harden is not a bad defender. He's actually an elite post defender. He led the NBA in total steals last season and he was second in deflections two seasons ago, the season that Paul George finished second in defensive player of the year voting. Paul George was the only player who, who had more deflections than James Harden. Not only is James Harden a great post defender, an elite post defender, but he also has great hands. He plays the passing lanes very well. And when he chooses to really lock in and play on-ball defense, he is really good. His problem is that he's not that quick laterally, so he has trouble against quicker guards, but that's most players in the NBA today anyway. Another false narrative. He's not a willing passer and he's a shot chucker even though he led the league in assists in 2016 when he got traded to Brooklyn everybody wondered how is it going to work now you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie and James Harden you got you got James Harden and Kyrie who are ball dominant how is that going to work i don't see it working if you watch this podcast i said multiple times that it was going to work and i said it was going to work because James Harden is a point guard basically and James Harden has always been a willing passer I said that Harden would be the point guard, Kyrie would be the shooting guard, and KD will be whatever he plays. Basically, Harden's the point guard, and Kyrie and KD are the scorers of the team. And I said that because if you watch film in Houston and film on when he played in OKC, he played that role anyway. He scored more in Houston because he had to, but he's always been a a willing passer. And he's always been kind of a walking triple-double. And now this season, he gets traded to Brooklyn. And not only does he take a backseat and not take that many shots per game, but he becomes the primary facilitator of the Brooklyn Nets and right now is close to averaging 12 assists per game. The Nets are 18-12, and and they're second in the Eastern Conference. His stats in Brooklyn right now are 24 points per game, 8 rebounds, 11.8 assists per game, 1 steal, almost a block, 50% from the field, 40% 40% from the three, and 90% from the free throw line. So he's played, he's averaging 24, 8, and 12, 50, 40, 90. Looks like a willing passer to me. But for some reason, Harden had this kind of jock label on him. And not to mention, Houston's one of the worst teams in the Western Conference right now, after James Harden left. They're one of the worst teams. And in all fairness, they did lose Christian Wood. So I'm not going to look too deeply into it. But when you look at Harden and Curry, I'll start with Harden first. Seven-time All-NBA, three-time scoring champ, MVP, eight-time All-Star, assist champ, 6 man of the year, Curry, six-time All-NBA, scoring champ, two-time MVP, six-time All-Star, three-time NBA champion, and a steals champion one year. They can accomplish all this. But somehow they still have something to prove. I will say this. Harden, he does. He has to win the championship. And I think he's going to do that this year in Brooklyn right now with KD and Kyrie. He has to win the championship still. But Curry, he's already a three-time champion. He's been a two-time MVP. What else does he really have to prove? That he can carry a team? I think he proved that a long time ago. Because of that, I think... James Harden and Steph Curry are the two most underappreciated superstars in the NBA right now. You look at Steph Curry, he's he's hated on a lot for no reason. You look at James Harden, he has a bunch of false narratives attached to his name. And because of the way he left Houston, that's even more of a reason why people are hating on him now. And because he hasn't won a finals, that's throwing fuel to the fire so there are a lot of things why people hate Harden for, but Harden has been one, one of the most hated players in the NBA for a while. So has Curry. Curry's a little bit different though because Curry is more hated so because Golden State was unstoppable for one for for a time, for a long period of time. Whereas Harden is more hated cuz of his play style and people don't like watching him play. But nonetheless, both superstars in my opinion are some of the most hated and underappreciated stars in the NBA and both of them have changed the game. Steph Curry with a three-point shot, three-point revolution. He did that. James Harden with the with the step back. What great scorer is not using a step back now? Luka is doing it and when when you when you, when you watch Luka play, it's like watching James Harden's twin, literally. James Harden revolutionized the game in terms of the step back move cuz everybody now is using it especially the one that James Harden kind of popularized and the three-point revolution because of Steph Curry. Both of them deserve their respect. And whether you don't like their game style or you don't like them, their game or whatever, that's fine. But they don't have anything left to prove. At least Curry doesn't. Harden has one more thing, win a championship. But outside of that, he's proved everything. He's proved that he can be a role player. He's proved that he can be an all-star. And he's proved that he can be a superstar. Now let's see if he gets it done this year in Brooklyn. There were eight topics today in this episode of the Pick is Out Podcast. Uh podcast. In total, this is in total, it was about one hour and six minutes. This is episode 69. I appreciate you guys if you made it this far. I know it's a little bit weird when it's only me, and it's only been me one time. It's a little bit weird because Riv and Jack, I mean, they make... This show—they make this show what it is. All of us, the chemistry. Without them, this cannot be. This cannot be pick a side. With when it's just me, it's pick my side. There's no other side to pick. It's just pick my side. But with them, it's pick a side. I said early in the podcast they're not here because there's, there's snowing in New Jersey. And before I leave, uh before I end this podcast, what I want to say is that currently there are some. Bad weather conditions in Houston. Um, I'm not too. I'm not too knowledgeable on what is actually going on or how many states it's affecting. But I just want to take this moment to address it and say, I'm hoping everybody that is there or has family there is safe. I'm praying for you, and I hope that you guys make it out of the situation. My heart goes out to you guys. Uh, truly tragic, and I'm hoping everybody ends up okay. I know we have some listeners from Houston, so I want to just you know tell, take the time to tell you guys that you know keep fighting, and I'm hoping everything ends up fine and your families are fine. Don't forget to find us on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast. On Twitter, it's at Pickaside Pod. You can donate to us on Patreon.com/slash Pickaside Podcast, and also, don't forget to review. leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and write a review. We will be posting it on Instagram and highlighting it and reading it on the show. Thank you guys for listening. And Riv and Jack will be back this Monday. So stay tuned for our next episode. But I appreciate you guys all for listening. And I'll see you guys next time.
0: This is Colin Kelly from the Road to Fantasy Football Podcast Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals and passionate fans. And over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team podcast network and business operations now they are raising another round on WeFunder. funder funder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors it's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup you can invest as little as 100 dollars in other words you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. funder blue wire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations which in turn, will help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com forward slash Blue Wire.